Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. You, uh, you look good today. You look like you're excited. Um, I think the cooler weather outside uh, sometimes has something to do with that. It, it does for me anyway, I think. Uh, well, anyway, it's good to see you guys. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Today we're going to look at verses 38 through 44. That's the Gospel of Mark. It's the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. The Gospel of Mark is the second book, second Gospel in the New Testament. So Mark, chapter 12. Today we're going to look at verses 38 through 44. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't have a copy of the Bible of your own, we'd love to give you one. So on your way out today, you'll just go by the information table that's right in the middle of the lobby, and uh, you'll see uh, a couple stacks of Bibles there. Just pick one up, take it with you. Uh, the Bibles uh, won't cost you anything. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, be sure to pick up a copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. Mark chapter 12 verses 38 through 44. Let, let me ask you a question. Ha, have you ever walked in on, on a conversation? You, you might not know what the conversation was, but, but you walked in on a conversation and you know it was a tense one because of the tension in the room. You, you ever had that happen? Two of us. That's it. You, you've had this happen before. And, and if you haven't, I'll bet your kids have. Because they've walked in on you guys and you just stopped talking. They didn't know there was an argument or they didn't know what the argument was about. But they knew there were some high-level discussions. Yeah, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Well, the scripture passage that we're looking at this morning has that same sort of atmosphere about it. The, the teaching that Jesus gives today is... Um, it's in the, the court, in the temple, and the tension is extremely high. It's high between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now, let, let me explain a little bit of the tension, sort of just back up here a moment. Um, Jesus, either a day, maybe two days before, came into Jerusalem. Uh, he's very close to his death on the cross, very close to the crucifixion. After he makes what's called the triumphal entry. How many of you have heard of the triumphal entry? If you don't know what that is, just be here the Sunday before Easter. We'll talk all about it. But Jesus makes his triumphal entry in, into Jerusalem. If you just follow the text, it's like he walks straight into the temple. And when he gets to the temple where people are supposed to be praying and worshiping, he finds that basically the people have turned it into a, a big bazaar. You've got vending tables and uh, people are selling their goods, they're selling the wares. Basically, it's like a big flea market inside. And one of the things that I, I love to say uh, about when Jesus goes in and just turns everything upside down, he went Indiana Jones on them. How many of you know Indiana Jones? It's like Jesus comes in with the whip. Now, he doesn't hit the people, but he drives out the money changers, turns the tables over, and again, he just runs, runs them all out, and he says, my father's house will be a place of prayer. In other words, this is a place for people to know God, to get connected with God, and what, what made things worse is that not only were those people not interested in connecting with God, but they were permitting others to connect with God 
as well. Now, up to this point, the religious teachers of the day, the religious leaders, they were looking for ways to discredit Jesus. They they even had it in their mind that they would like to see him just, you know, discredited off the stage or have him killed and just removed, gone. But that goes to a whole nother level after Jesus turns over the money changers' tables and runs them out because now not only do the religious authorities want Jesus to be dealt with, but the political authorities want Jesus dealt with as well because here's what's going on. The religious leaders who are the Jewish religious leaders and the political leaders who are the Romans, they're in business together. And Jesus was bad for business. Are you with me? Okay. When Jesus gives this teaching that we're going to look at this morning, it's in the temple. So just think about this in your mind. They know who Jesus is, the the temple guard. They know who Jesus is. So you might think, well, why did they let this guy back in? It's because they were very afraid of the people because while they didn't like Jesus, the people loved him. The the people are listening to him. They're very interested in what he's teaching. In fact, uh, Mark 12, 37 says that the people delighted in his teaching. They are eating it up. They are picking up what he's putting down. They're enjoying it. And so they are afraid that this crowd of people will become a mob if they try to arrest Jesus publicly or refuse to allow him in the temple. So they let him come in. And while he's inside, he begins teaching. And when he starts to teach, it's not like Jesus just releases the pressure valve a little bit so all the tension runs out. In fact, Jesus, with his teaching, he just turns up the heat. With that in mind, let's get started. You guys still with me? All right. Verse 38, as Jesus taught, or as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Now, a number of teachers have been in the crowd as Jesus is teaching. They could have been Pharisees, they could have been scribes, um, He even had some run-ins with Sadducees, but they're all religious teachers. So the New International Version here just translates them as religious teachers. But Jesus says, watch out for them. Now listen, these religious teachers are in the crowd. Not all of them, but there are certainly some religious teachers who are listening because they're monitoring what Jesus is saying. So Jesus calls them out. He says to the crowd, watch out for these guys. And then he explains why. And this is where, man, the gas just really turns up. They like to walk around in flowing robes. Pharisees in those days and um, in some places even now. But Pharisees in those days wore long robes. And by the very fact that you had a long robe as a man that would go down probably to your ankles, if not all the way down to the floor, it meant a couple of things. One, it meant that you're an important person. 
It, it also meant that you were not in a hurry because if, if you've got this long robe that comes down, perhaps even dragging the, the floor, you, you can't run. So instead, you know, these guys have a gate. They have just a little way of walking around. They're not in a big hurry. They're, they, don't, they don't work a normal trade. And by the way, they're supposed to. I'll say more about that in a minute. But they're not like a normal working guy who has to run around because he's got to get from place to place. This is a man of leisure, importance, and wealth. That's what the robes mean. And they like to be greeted in the marketplaces. And when you think of the marketplaces, don't think your local grocery store, Harris Teeter, Lowe's, Food Lion, the new Publix we've got coming in town. Anybody excited about that? Lots of us are. Uh, It's not that. The marketplace is where people went to sell, to buy. Think of it as... um, It's like a huge mall, but there's only one mall in town. And you went there to buy, to sell, and probably every day, because people didn't store up food the way we store it now. You would literally have a wife or a child or even a slave who would go to the market and buy food for that day. It was a busy place. And Jesus says these guys like to be greeted in the marketplace where everybody's at, and they like to be called by their official title. Rabbi, which, among a couple other things, it means my great one. But here, here is the idea. Jesus is not saying there's anything wrong with the title. He's not saying, because he was often called Rabbi Nai Yeshua. His disciples in several places in the gospel, they call him Rabbi. So he's not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just the way it was happening in the marketplaces. These guys like to walk through with their long flowing robes on, dark sunglasses, Of course, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but I want you to pick up on that, okay? And and all the people around going, oh, my great one, oh, my great one, oh, my great one. And so these guys, they they enjoyed that. They enjoyed the position of leadership. They were like rock stars, okay? They were not supposed to be. Uh, in fact, these guys were not even supposed to, to earn a living from their teaching or being an expert in the law at all. They were supposed to have a trade they worked where they would earn their daily bread. In other words, they were supposed to have jobs as well, but they didn't. They had a, a rock star sort of life. They, uh, they like to walk around in flowing robes and to be greeted in the marketplaces, verse 39, and have the most important seats in the synagogues. Uh, I should have brought you a picture of synagogue so you could see how they're set up. They're very, very cool to see them, very interesting. But down near the front where the sacred scrolls were kept, there was a bench of seats. And these seats faced the congregation. Well, that was considered the best seat in the house. And the reason that these religious leaders, for the most part, like to sit in these seats is because they faced the crowd. They didn't enjoy that they could see the crowd. They enjoyed that the crowd could see them. And so during the worship, people could look at them and admire them and see how important 
they were. Jesus said they liked the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. How, how many of you have ever been to like a, uh, a wedding reception where there are cards at each place uh, to let you know who's sitting where? How, how many of you have been an honored guest? Um, I, not me, not usually. You, usually, I'm sitting at a table that's at the back, and there's no placard there. <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, with with everybody, with everybody else. But you know what I'm talking about. There's there are places of honor. Well, in Jesus' day, the the most important seat would be the seat of the host or the hostess. And then, if you walked in the room with no place cards, you could tell who the most important people are in the room because after the host and hostess, the most important seat is the one immediately to the right. The second most important person is the one seated to the left. The third most important person, again, to the right, fourth to the left, and so on and so on. You see what I mean? So you could walk into the room. If you knew the, who the host and the hostess was for the party, you could look and say, most important, most important, most important, most important, most important, nobody, means nothing. And all the way back to the scrubs, just people who got an, an invitation, but they aren't necessarily important. Well, these religious leaders like to sit at the important places in these banquets. Okay, do you feel the tension? Jesus has not let the tension off. And, and just when you think, okay, there's a period, and now Jesus is going to say something to release the tension. He doesn't. He says in verse 40, they devour widows' houses. Widows in that culture were among the most vulnerable people in their society. They, they had lost their husband, so there's not a man to take care of them Unless there is an older son, or well, not an older son, but a son or the oldest son, he would usually take care of his mother. But in cases where there was no older son, and now this woman has become a widow, there's no one to take care of her. She's left to either beg or prostitute for her survival. They're very vulnerable people. And Jesus says, these religious leaders who like the robes, who like... Um, to be greeted in the marketplaces, these guys who like um, to have the best seats in the synagogues and to be at the top seating in the banquets. They also eat widows' houses. They consume them. They swallow them up. They take advantage of them. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. Most of the culture around this time we know from Josephus. He says that not, not all religious leaders and not all of the Pharisees, but there were groups of them that prided themselves and bragged about the fact that they could talk widows out of, out of their money to support their lavish lifestyle. And Jesus says, really in a way to make it even worse, he says, and for a show 
make lengthy prayers. It's like Jesus is saying, after they do all of these things, after they live this way, then they pray long, showy prayers that are very wordy to make you look at them and think that they are something that they're really not. It's like they say a blessing over all of the things that they've done. I'm going to tell you something. As a pastor who is not perfect, who has his own struggles, this is very convicting to me. If, if you're a Christian leader of any kind, this is a, a passage of Scripture that ought to make you stop and think, hey, wait a minute. What are the things I need to deal with in my own life? And here's Jesus' warning. Remember, he starts out by saying to the people, beware, but keep in mind that there are religious leaders sitting in the room, so it is though Jesus is giving a warning to the people, but he's giving a warning to these religious leaders. He says, such men will be punished most severely. And he ain't smiling. And then Jesus walks away from that environment. He walks away from that part of the temple. He walks out of that court and he leaves them to their discussion, to the conversation, maybe to the arguments about it all. But he goes to a different place, probably a place that is situated between the court of the Gentiles and the court of women. In, in that area, which is like a, a, a hallway, think of it that way, there were 13 trumpets, brass trumpets, and they're called brass trumpets because of the shape. And they were either a funnel and a catch basin themselves, or they float into a box. I think there's a picture of one there in your message notes that gives you some idea of what it, it would look like. But there were 13 of these that were sitting around in in this hallway. And so people would come and they would give their offerings there. Well, Jesus moves right up to where they're giving offerings. Now, I don't know if he took a folding chair and just sat right down beside one of the giving boxes or, or if he just positioned himself near enough so that he could see what's going on, but it's a little bit um, nerve-wracking to some of us perhaps that Jesus is sitting there watching what he give, uh, what's given. But verse 41 says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Let me tell you what the temple treasury is. The temple treasury is a place where people could give their offerings. They could bring their tithe. And the offerings that were given went to support the daily sacrifices, all, all of the people that it took to lead and to run the temple, everything that's going on in there. If you remember back to Malachi chapter 3, where God says, bring the tithe into the storehouse, bring 10% of what you earn into the storehouse, bring that in, and if you'll make sure that my house has enough, I'll make sure you can't build enough barns to hold all the blessings I'll pour into your life. Well, when he says make sure my house has enough, it means to make sure that there is money for the daily sacrifices, for the wine offerings or the grain offerings or all of the temple business. Mark also says that many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth only a fraction 
of a penny. Okay, let me try to explain what's going on here. These trumpets were made out of brass. The people that were bringing money, they were not bringing in checks. They, they, they didn't have paper money. There was, no, there was no cash, like dollar bills or $5 bills. Um, they couldn't pay with a debit card or a credit card. They would bring in coins. Usually, they would bring in shekels that were made of some amount of silver or it was some metallic coin. Okay, now just keep in mind that these trumpets are made of brass. So when you put in metal coins, what do you hear? Cling, 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 cling. Ever been to Las Vegas? All right, now I went to Vegas back in the day when it was what they call it, Old Vegas. I understand now that they still have slot machines everywhere, like 7-Eleven, everywhere you go, there's a slot machine. But you could go into the casinos back then, and when you hit a jackpot, uh, you got coins. Now I think you get um, a ticket. So it's kind of like, you know, playing in an arcade today, I guess. But, but back then it was coins. And so just try to imagine if, if you've never been there. And those of you who have been there and you remember the coins, you, you know what this is like. You kind of get addicted to hearing the coins fall out of those machines. Because there's hundreds of them in some of these casinos, and you just hear a little clanging everywhere. And what you do, especially if you sit down and play the slot machines, you, you get used to the, the amount of clanging. So, so you could tell if some guy hits a 7-7 seven, seven and a, a piece of fruit, that might pay out, you know, 20 quarters. So clang, 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 clang. All right, hey, somebody want a little something. But then you might have some guy that hits four sevens, and that jackpot pays out 10 grand. Clang, 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 clang. Clang, 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 clang. I mean, it just keeps on going. It does not seem to stop. And everybody gets excited, sort of. I mean, you are thinking, I wish that was me, but you are thinking, hey, if that guy did it, maybe I can hit it. I need some more quarters. And you start, or dollars, whatever you're, you're feeding that thing. Well, that was a similar situation to what's going on right here with the giving trumpets. The people sitting around, they, they were used to the sound of the clanging. That they could tell how big the offering was by the clanging of the coins in the brass trumpet. And so um, that was one thing. But then you, you would have these rich guys. Now let me, let me tell you who the rich guys are. They could be wealthy merchants. In that day there were the haves and the have-nots. Very few people in the middle. There was not a middle class. So, Jesus has been talking about the religious leaders and their rock star lifestyle, right? Well, Jesus, when he talks about the rich or when Mark brings this up, he may be talking about the merchant who's done really well for himself. But it's likely that he's talking about the religious leaders. Again, they were supposed to have a trade. 
and by eating widows' houses and smoozing to gain influence, they had become a part of the rich society. They had become a part of the wealthy group. And so it, it, it could mean a, a rich merchant, but it could be these religious leaders. And here's the idea. Some of these guys, when they would bring their offering, let's say, just let's talk American dollars. They were going to give $100 today, but the day before, they went by the bank and handed them the $100 bill and had it cashed out. And, uh, hey, can you make change, uh, and can you give me all dimes? Or they could see the temple, um, the money changers, when they came in. They would say, hey, uh, here's 100 I need you to break this. Can you give me all dimes? And so then you go to your trumpet, your flute, hands full of dimes. Clang, 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 clang. Clang, 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 clang. Can you guys see? Everybody awake? Clang, 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 clang. And then you'd be like, guys, I'm sorry, because now there's a line. Guys, I'm really, I'm sorry. I just have a lot to give today. I apologize. I'll use both hands. Clang, 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 clang. And everybody's listening. Because it sounds like Temple hit the jackpot over here. Clang, 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 clang. He's finally done. And then widow comes up. And Mark says she gives less than a penny, two copper coins. You can even tell the difference in the type of coin. Because the copper has a different sound than the silver. So it's not even a clang, 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 clang. It's not even a clang, clang. It's a thunk, thunk. That's it. Nobody even has to look. Of course, they watched her walk over. They weren't expecting much anyway. And so it was no surprise to them when she drops in her two coins, less than a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, truly, truly, the truth of truth, I say to you, this poor widow put more into the treasury than all of these others. And the disciples are like, what? Come on. I mean, we weren't math majors in college, but we know the difference between clang, 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 and ding, ding. And so Jesus answers their questions. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now I'll bet that some of you are thinking this morning, oh, I get it. This is all about how to squeeze rich people out of their money. No, thank God I'm not doing that because I would squeeze everybody in this room compared to this widow and the two Coins she lived on, less than a penny a day. We're all rich in here. Did you eat meat today? Have you eaten meat in the last week? 
then you are richer than about 75% of the world. It's not just about giving. There, there are some principles here that I, I want to share with you. If, if you have your notes out, there's a place on the back. Just jot these down. I'm going to give them to you kind of quick. The first principle here is that Christian leadership is about responsibility and not privilege. And I would say that's true in Christian leadership, but that's true in leadership in general. Leadership, but here we're talking about the faith community. Christian leadership is about responsibility, not privilege. It's not about the religious leaders getting rich off of their words and what they are able to talk out of people. It's not about living a rock star lifestyle. It's not about you being held up as the great one in the community. And that's true for the pastors of us who are sitting in this room or listening right now. It's true for church staff. It's true for trustees. It's true for anyone who leads in the church. But again, I would say it's true for anyone who leads people anywhere. Leadership is about responsibility, not the privilege, not the position of just being able to say, okay, now I'm the leader. Here are all the perks that come with me being the leader. The second principle I would give you is that church is about what you put into it, not what you get out of it. One of the things that you can see in in the history of the church, and you know what's church and are true in the church because it's just true with people. It, it's true with people all the way back to first century Judea, right here. Um, church, our faith, it goes in cycles, and, and the cycle that they're going through here, and the cycle that the church, at least in the Western world, is going through today, is that we have a consumer mindset when it comes to church. And, and so you, you think about it. I'm not just talking about, um, well, in fact, I'm not talking at all to people right now who've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm talking to the rest of us, those who have. The wrong way to find a church is to think, wonder what this church can offer me. So you've, start, you've started wrong. And here's what I mean. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, it's not about you. The church is not about you, but it's not about me either. I mean, we've already pushed me up against the wall here, haven't we? Religious leaders, my kind. But it's true for all of us. Church is not about you. It's not what about you get out of it. Church is what we make out of it together. Church is about what you contribute, and not only financially, but your gifts, your abilities, your talents, who you are as a person, what are you contributing? Because together we make a church. I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. You cannot build a church family with people who are in one day, out one day, in one day, emotionally out. You can't do it. You, you, can't, be, you, you can't really be a part of a local body of Christ when you have this mentality, you know, I like Jimmy today, so I'm in. I don't like Jimmy today, so I'm out. I don't like that he didn't say this or that he did say that. 
listen, I'm going to tell you, I am human. I will let you down. I will be shopping at Walmart, and I will completely look past you. Don't feel bad. It happens to my wife and kids, too. I sometimes don't see them. It's not just you and me. It's just I'm human. But listen, I know you are, too. And so, if you're in, be in. If you're out, that's okay. But just just remember that Pitts Baptists, they need you to be a part of that body too. Elevation, they don't need you to just walk in, stay with them a couple months, and then leave there too. Hope City... They need people that's going to help them build a church, a church community. Not people just in and out, in and out. And, but it, to be in and out, it's a consumer mindset. It's about you. And listen, I'm telling you with all the love that I can sit with, church is not about you. It's about Jesus first. And then it's about serving other people. It's about you making his needs most important and you making his needs most important to you. It's about us serving together. And then if we're all serving together, then we all have our needs met. But it's not about having your needs met. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Gosh, I have so much I'd like to say about that, but I can't. John, I want to skip a couple here if you don't mind, let, let me give you another principle. Giving is about trusting God. Giving is about trusting God. The woman put in two coins. Who would have known if she would have kept one for her? Uh, and if anybody had have known, who, who would have thought anything's wrong with that? She's a widow. When she gives the two coins, she's not giving everything that she has for the rest of her life. She's giving everything for that day. Those two coins, that was her food allowance for the day. Less than a penny. That was her vegetable and bread money. So when she puts her vegetable and bread money in there, what do you think she's thinking? Is she thinking, well, maybe my neighbor will come over and give me a bowl of soup today? Or maybe... Um, uh, maybe I won't have anything to eat today. Maybe today will be about me fasting. But, but you have to think that she's trusting in God, so she must be thinking, okay, I'm giving what I have for today, my whole food allowance, so either I'm going to worship the Lord and have a piece of bread later because the Lord will provide that, or I'm going to give everything I have today in worship and I still get the bread because I've got the bread of life. God will provide my daily portion, my daily bread. Either way, she's trusting in God. And when is the last time that you really trusted God with everything that you have for that day? Not just in giving your money. When is the last time that you really trusted God? Let me give you this principle as well. God's economy is different than the world's economy. God's economy is different than the world's economy. And here's what I mean by that. 
Jesus said, here's the math. That woman gave 100% of everything she had. She gave one whole. That's why she gave the most. These other guys gave out of their wealth. They just gave a fraction of what they had. They gave a percentage. But again, she gave everything. Here's what they did. The wealthy that day, they gave up their Starbucks coffee. I need some coffee, but it doesn't have to be Starbucks today. I can make coffee at home, or maybe they've got a coffee pot ready at the office. I'll just drink that 25-cent coffee today and not buy the $7 Starbucks coffee. This woman gave her bread and vegetable money. She didn't give out of her wealth. She gave everything, even in poverty. And then here's the last thing I want to share with you. That woman, the widow, in her society, she's a non-person. It's a dog-eat-dog world now, let me tell you, for them. It's survival. People would wake up every day thinking, okay, what am I going to survive on today? And in that world of survival, you don't have time to pay attention to widows and orphans. Not usually. We're instructed to, but she's a non-person. They just completely overlooked her. How many times does that happen to you and me? If you're, if you're not a believer, I get that. But for those of us who are believers, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, those of us who claim to be his followers, where we're supposed to live in love and show that love every day, how often do you look over people? And I found out on Friday, or I, I was reminded of just how easy this can be. I, I won't make a long story out of it because I'm not trying to make you all jealous, but you should be. I'm kidding. Good, good friend of mine is a regional manager at Bojangles. I happen to be a, a frequent customer to Bojangles. And they feed the Panthers on Fridays. And he, he called me and said, hey, man, do you want to go? I, I, as soon as, before he could hang up, I was standing in his driveway. <laughs> so I, I said, yeah, I'm going, but you've got to let me serve. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to just be hanging out. I'll, you know, let, let me do something. And uh, so I, I got to hand out forks, knives, and napkins. But it was the Panthers, right? I would have paid for that. You would have too. If if you're Cowboys, Greg, you know you would love to have been there. And by the way, I didn't post this on Facebook, but I got my picture made with Troy Aikman because he and Buck are doing the game. And so I got my picture taken with Troy Aikman. I didn't post that picture on Facebook because I got a reputation I want to up on. No. Just kidding. I couldn't believe it. When I opened the door and Troy Aikman standing there, I almost swallowed my tongue. And I was a Redskins when he won all those Super Bowls. So, But it was, it was interesting because after a while, you have a way of sizing people up, literally. Because the only guy that I met that was my same height was Mike Tolbert. 
But you know, they call him the milk truck because he's enormous. He's a huge guy. But man, all of a sudden, you see, you see huge, like Jared Allen. I cannot imagine what it must be like. I, I would not be a quarterback without a stick and a gun if that guy was chasing me around. And then, but let me, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I, I, I was eating it up. I couldn't help it. But I caught myself after a while. You're looking at people, and you're like, oh, no, that's not nobody. That's nobody. Oh, no, that's no, he's a trainer. That's nobody. I, and I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute. That's not nobody. That, that's a trainer. That's a, that's a man. Now, of course, you know what I meant, right? That's not a panther. But I just remember thinking about this passage of Scripture. Oh, my gosh, man. It was no big deal to see some trainer. I mean, it, you wouldn't have thought I was the coolest pastor on the planet at all if I would have been in there with a picture of me and the cleats guy. <laughs> it wouldn't have meant as much, right? I, I would pay to do that. I bet you would too. We come over here on Thanksgiving Day and feed some homeless people or some old people don't have anybody to do Thanksgiving with. Will you give to that? Can you come over on Wednesday night for help us set up? I know what a Panthers fan will do when he gets an opportunity to, to serve chicken to his favorite team. What, what will a Christian do for the widow, orphans, homeless people, old people, lonely people? Because on your way out today, you can go by the connection table, and you can sign up to bring desserts or Volunteer to be here on Wednesday night for setup. Show up on Thursday. You can even eat over here too. Let's stand together. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me... Let me just share with you that while as human beings we have a way of looking at some human beings as more important than others, God does not look at us that way. He doesn't think of us that way. Yesterday was Billy Graham's birthday. He was 97 years old. Jesus died for Billy Graham. But Jesus died for you. Billy Graham, Jimmy Britt, any preacher you've ever known, they're not more important than you. In God's eyes, we're all valuable. We all matter to him. And so Jesus gave his life for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted his sacrifice. You've never accepted what he's done for you. You've never accepted his love. But maybe he's been speaking through you, not even just today, but maybe he's been speaking to you in your life. It could be why you're here today. And he's, he's been drawing you to him. And so this morning, you hear him say, okay, today is the day I want you to trust me and follow me. 
Today is the day I want you to be all in. I don't want just a fraction of your life. I want all of you. And so if that is you, then why don't you pray with me right now? And you can, you can pray my prayer. You can say my words, but you don't have to. You can use my words, um, pray them out loud, whisper the prayer out, say it in your heart and mind. Either way, God will hear you. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, today, in the best way I know how, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And now thank you for giving me hope and a purpose. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Guys, listen, just before we close, I wanna give you a reminder. First, thank you for tithes and offerings. Connection cards are very important, um, especially if you have prayer requests. Don't forget to leave those in the baskets. Um, next week, I'm gonna start teaching through um, the stories of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And so on the back of your message notes, you have um, a next step to read Genesis 37 this week. What I'm gonna try to do is every week uh, give you a passage of scripture to read the following week so you'll have read that and you'll have some idea about the passage and you can let the Lord speak to you during the week and then that's what I'll be preaching from on the weekends. It's gonna be a lot like our Esther series. I think it'll be interesting. I think that you'll enjoy it. I'm gonna enjoy it. Um, I was thinking about doing something different, but I just cannot get these stories off my mind, out of my heart. So I think that the Lord wants to talk to us through them, okay? So just want to let you know that Genesis 37 is the reading for this week. Let's sing, then Jeff, you close us. I love you guys. Have a great week. And, and, go Panthers. Now listen, listen to me. Listen, just, just so I don't have to have this conversation 40 times out in the lobby. No, I don't have on my Panthers jersey. But listen, I'm not superstitious at all. So the Panthers have won three games where I wore no jersey to church, so we're good. Don't blame anything on me, all right? Have a great week.